Thank you very much, Simon and team. Appreciate that so, so much. I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad you're well enough to be here this morning, as obviously a lot of people aren't in our world and society and area. So glad that you're here. So my question this morning is this. What do we boast in? Oh, come on now. That's a Sunday school answer. Come on now. That's, that's, that's yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to get there, Hank. Don't get too far ahead. Now, what do we boast in? We, uh, what trophies or certificates or plaques uh, do you have on display? You, you know from previous sermons that I've uh, shared with you that um, I have a sad face now. I have no ribbons from my field day competitions in elementary school. You know that, yeah, um, but I do have to say, you made up with that for all the first place ribbons you gave me on my 20th anniversary. <laughs> first place, all the wonderful messages you wrote to me just a couple months ago. Thank you so much for that. Uh, still doesn't make up for all the times I didn't win anything in elementary school, <laughs> but that was so kind of you to do that. and. Why, the messages you wrote and cared for, um, they, they were just amazing. So thank you so much for, for doing that. Now I have some other boasts among you today. Um, when I was in elementary school, I think I was 11, uh, my Little League baseball team in the Southeast Denver Little League, uh, we did win our, we won the championship. And uh, uh, probably no thanks to me, I think that was maybe when I got glasses, and it made it a lot easier to try to catch the fly balls in right field, okay? <laughs> I always wondered why they went over my head, because I couldn't see them. Um, but we did win, and I got about a three-inch trophy. I don't know, it might have been two inches. And I remember as we had, it was the first year of Southeast Denver Little League. And um, so I remember we had a, a, a banquet, or it was a picnic, and they were giving out the awards. And so um, as the league director was talking about uh, me, he kind of introduced each of the players on our team. Uh, he mentioned that um, he had recognized that I was a very good punter. And I was. I was a very good punter. Of course, as you know, four foot two or whatever, and probably couldn't hit the ball anyway. Um, but no, I was, I was a very, very good punter. But then in one of those Charlie Brown moments, he um, calls me up to get it, and he introduces me by the other Scott on the team. Scott Miller. <laughs> like, what? I'm Scott Bailey. And he, he, didn't, he didn't pick up on it somehow. But I got, you know, Scott Miller got the praise for being a really good bunter, but it really was Scott Bailey. It was a Charlie Brown moment. One of those moments you just can't hardly believe that really took place. So uh, uh, that was, our team was the Golden Cream Donuts Mets. Golden Cream was a bakery in Denver. And they sponsored our team, and we were, we were the Mets. I still have that hat, and my dad was a coach, and I really appreciated that. Um, I, do have, I do have the two golf balls. I should have brought them today, not that mean anything to you. I do have the two golf balls that, that, I, um, that I made hole-in-ones with, 1977 up in Denver, and I don't know, five or six years ago at the Young Life Tournament in Canyon City at Four Mile Ranch. And I, I still have this in my office, because I'm proud of it. That's what I got for getting a hole-in-one. <laughs> I got a $500 gift card uh, for getting that hole-in-one, and that helped me go to Bosnia to see my missionary son 
at that time. And so I have that. I'm, I'm proud of that. I keep it in my office. Uh, it was fun to, fun to pick up on that and to get a hole-in-one. Um, I don't know what the odds are, um, one in a million or something like that, to get a hole-in-one. So I'm grateful for that. Um, I do have bag tags on my golf bag from playing um, two of the premier courses in the world, Pebble Beach. 1987 in Spyglass Hills, which is right there in the Monterey Peninsula. Got a nice little shot of uh, hole number 18. A couple weeks, you'll see the uh, ATT Pebble Beach open there. And I had the chance to play that. Had a friend take me there and pay for it. So uh, it was only $125 around then. That's $600 around then. Um, I will be up going on vacation in a, a week from Monday. And I will um, have the opportunity to play um, Torrey Pines South which is where the next PGA tournament next week will be at. So uh, I'll be playing that course after the pros play it. I hope they cut the rough for me because I know I'll be all over the place, not lower they're at. But it's fun to kind of have brag about that, a chance to play Pebble Beach, sometimes considered the number one course in the world, and a Spyglass number 50 or something like that. So kind of neat to be able to kind of brag on that just a little bit. Uh, but probably, probably for me the... The, the best post I can have is the four diplomas I have up on my wall in my office. Uh, my graduating from Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, uh, finishing up my bachelor's degree um, at Western Bible College in Denver, which is now Colorado Christian University, um, then graduating from Denver Seminary with my Master of Divinity a few, a few years later, about 10 or 12 years later, and then also my ordination and uh, being ordained in um, 1992 after serving in the ministry. But probably those... If, if I have some boasts, those are some things that I would probably boast about the most because of the work that it took, and especially as many of you know, many of you went back and got your master's degree or maybe bachelor's degree. Uh, I went to get my, uh, back my master's degree with a four, uh, two and a half year old and a four month old and working full time basically and going to school part time. And um, I'm grateful that I got that done. And when I finished, uh, my wife said, very uh, tongue-in-cheek, she said, if you want to go on towards your doctorate, you'll have to do it with another wife. <laughs> it, was a, it was a journey. And she was, of course, just kidding. But, um, and I haven't gone home for my doctorate. I have no interest in doing that. That sounds like way too much work. So uh, I'm grateful for those, a chance to, to boast. So i got a few boasting items in my possession. And uh, uh, get this out of the way. But for you, maybe what you have on your shelves or um, maybe what you have on your bumper on your car or on the back window. See, I have things thing that says Majestic Baptist Church on my back window because I'm proud of that. And I have Lake City, Colorado, where we have my wife has a family cabin and we go every year to be able to vacation there. And I also have a I Love Pueblo West sticker on the back of my car, too on my windshield, because I'm proud to live here. I'm glad to live here. It's a great thing. Well, we all have those boasts. We all have those things that, uh, the accomplishments, honestly, that the Lord has led us to have, okay? So uh, I'm not trying to, you know, bring down thunder and lightning from heaven today and boasting about my things. The Lord has allowed me to do those things, just like he's allowed you to do certain things in your life, accomplishments or successes that are there. But Let's keep, we'll keep that boasting thought in mind, and we'll get back to it way, way, just a little bit more. So, last Sunday I talked to you about, I got started on this sermon series on the promises of God. And, and we covered last week what, what seems to me to be the first promise in 
in the Bible in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Creation has taken place as we looked at last week. God created Adam and Eve, male and female, in case you didn't hear the sermon last week. His good work and gender, that's what he wants. That's what he's really excited about, and he wants everybody to be all right about that. God has created each one that way for us, as male or female. But then they're in the garden in, in 2, 16 and 17, 15, start there. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work in and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. It's a promise. It's a promise that God makes. Now, we said last week, we can look at it in the negative. If you do this, then this will happen. You will surely die. But if we looked at it in the positive, as we said last week, if you don't eat of it, then what? You'll live. That's a pretty good thing. <laughs> That's what God wanted for Adam and Eve. And unfortunately, as we know, um, if we had been there, probably we'd have done the same thing. I don't know how you feel about it, but I think that we probably would have. I mean, Adam and Eve are just representatives of us. We probably would have done. And we know that there was the promise that happened. Paul talks about Paul talks about that in Romans chapter five, verse verse twelve. He says that that he says, We're standing on this promise that God made. That if we sin, we will die. And he says, as it says up on the screen. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sin. And we know that, the reality of it. We know that we have sinned. We've transgressed against the holy God. We have grieved Him. As it says in Ephesians chapter 4, 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, the one who has sealed you for the day of redemption. Don't grieve him. We, we have done that. And, and Paul just, he just hops on that and he just says, listen, that was the promise that was made to them, that if they would eat of it, they would surely die. And that promise, guess what? Has come true. Well, just like God to do that, right? Amazing that God would follow through on his promise. He did. And every person, unless God has taken them, every person that has lived has experienced death and walked through the valley of death. Now, let's look at Romans chapter 3. We look at some other promises that are here. We talked about this last week. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of them were both open, 
they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord of God walking in the garden in the cool of day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of all the days of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The woman called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned everyone every way to guard the way to the tree. Father, this is your word. These are your thoughts. These are your promises. These are your stories, true stories, historical, accurate, applicable to us today. May we hear the word, and then may we do the word as your spirit speaks to us and encourages us. In Jesus' name, amen. God's promise is related to the first sin right here. The serpent, as an animal, is doomed to life being viewed with contempt from now on. It's right there in verse 13, 14. Because you have done this. In verse 1, the serpent is identified as being more crafty than any other beast of the field. And then in verse 14, it is identified as being more cursed than any other beast of the field. So it goes from this position to this position and what he has done in deceiving Adam and Eve. The Lord curses it above all the other animals, and the Lord causes it to be on its belly below those same animals. Now, I don't know. We've seen the pictures. Again, I, I, I look between the lines. I don't know if, if the beast, the, the snake at that point, again, I'm not telling you this is true. I'm just thinking. I'm wondering if the snake at that point did have legs or could rise up in some way. And then when the curse came, because he's going to be on his belly now, those legs were taken away. I don't know. I don't know. He could have just been a snake. But I don't know. I just kind of wonder. Because he talks about him being above the others. Now he's below the others. So don't quote me on all that. Again, I'm just thinking, imagining, trying to understand what this has to say to us. 
But I know this. Here's the promise. It's a promise of God. You will be below every other one. If he meant proximity, then that's true. I mean, that's where we find snakes. And I hate them too, okay? I know some of you probably like them, but I don't like them, okay? They make me do a snake dance when I see them, all right? You know how that is, especially when you don't anticipate them, right? And some people love them. They like to be around them, but not this guy, all right? Um, the woman, it says of her, your pain will be multiplied in childbirths. If she had no pain before sin, she's going to be greatly surprised at what happens in childbirth. And bless you ladies, bless you moms for giving birth to our kids. Because we guys, we were not interested in that at all. Okay? <laughs> I know it's, it's hard. I know it's hard work. And it's painful. And for some, obviously, you know, there are different levels. understand that. But we know that there's pain in it. And that's come because of sin. But also, it says in, in this passage, there's going to be an ongoing struggle between the man and the woman for leadership in the marriage relationship. The leadership role of the husband and the complementary relationship between the husband and wife that were ordained before God, before the sin, have now become deeply damaged and distorted by sin. Evil had the sinful desire to oppose Adam and to assert leadership over him, reversing God's plan for Adam's leadership in marriage. But Adam will also abandon his God-given, before-sin role of leading, guarding, which he failed in the garden. He knew the right thing to do. The command was given to him. And he didn't guard his wife. He didn't stand up for her and do what he needed to do and say, no, that is wrong. We're not going to do that. He's going to abandon, because of sin, he's going to abandon his God-given before sin role of leading, guarding, and caring for his wife, replacing this with his own sinful, distorted desire to rule over Eve. Quoting there from one of the books that I read. The man is now under the curse of the ground from which he was formed. And it will be painful to get life from the ground as the ground is now cursed and now weed infested and tumbleweed infested. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, by the sweat of hard work that he will eat. And because of the curse, because of the curse, as it finishes up in verse 19, because of the curse of his sin and all that hard work, he will eventually end, his life will eventually end in the valley of death. Until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. He's saying, you're going to die. This is now a part of your life. You will die because of your sin. And then in verse 18, we see that the first couple need some clothes and coverings, and the Lord sends them to Walmart to get some. No, no, in his grace, in his grace, in his amazing grace, he provides skins for them as a sign of his love and his care. And his provision of skins tells us that the Lord killed the first animal as a foreshadowing of one, the animal sacrifices in the Mosaic law, 
for the atonement or covering of sin, and two, of the eventual death of Christ on the cross as the full atonement or forgiveness for sin. Not just atonement, not just covering, but for forgiveness of sin. And lastly, as we read in verses 22 through 24, they and we would never return to Eden again while on this earth in his present state. They got kicked out of Eden. They'll never, they'll never return to it. It's gone. They can't get back in, and we will never return to what it was or have the opportunity to be a part of what it was. Someday, yes, when God puts it all back together again and he puts the curse down. As it says in Romans 8, the earth groans under the curse that it's in. God someday will redeem all that and so that we will be able to return to an Eden in a sense to his good work. But for now, we can't experience that. We can't experience the paradise that was once here. Those are the promises. I mean, it doesn't say promise number one, promise number two, promise number three, promise number four, but those are the promises. Here's the promises to the serpent, to Satan himself. Here's the promises to the woman. Here's the promises to the man. Here's the promises of the coverings that are there. And here's the promises regarding Eden. They're all promises. They're all there for us. But now let's go back to the, God's first promise in verse 15. His first promise, as I've titled it, his first promise related to the cross. It's important. Somebody has said many years ago, somebody way wiser than me, it's really important to look at the, all the firsts in Scripture. What is God setting up? How is He following what He set up for us? And here is the first mention of the cross in chapter 3, verse 15. You say, you look at it, you say, I don't see the cross mentioned there. Let me explain. Someday in the future, as it says, Someday in the future, there's going to be a very important, promised offspring of the woman. Can you say, Hank? There we go. Thank you. <laughs> Can you say Jesus? That's what he's talking about in verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 15. He's talking about Jesus coming, the offspring of a woman. Someday... There's going to be Jesus is going to come. He's going to come in this physical way for us to be a part of our lives. Now, as he talks about the offspring of Satan, he's not talking about the reproductive offspring of Satan. No, he's just talking about his family. The people, the, the demons that are part of his world when he speaks of the offspring here. But when he speaks of the offspring of the woman, he's talking about the seed, Jesus coming for us in the flesh. God's promise in this passage is that there's going to be enmity between Satan and himself. Enmity. Dictionary definition. The extreme ill will or hatred that exists between enemies. The hostility that exists between enemies. And we know that, that there's enmity. As he says, there's going to be enmity between you and the woman. There's going to be this enmity between mankind. There's going to be this enmity between God and Satan. Don't we know that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12? For our struggle is not against what? Flesh and blood. But it's against the rulers. It's against the authorities. It's against the powers. And it's against the spiritual forces in heavenly places. That's 
not exactly what's on the screen, but those are the parts that are there. Kind of it's the old raps. Rulers, authorities, powers, and spiritual forces. One way to remember those four terms, at least in the NIV. There's an enmity that's going on. There's an enmity between God and Satan. There's a fight. There's a battle. There's a war going on. And that's what he's saying in this verse. is enmity in you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, Jesus. There's enmity between the world and Jesus, God himself, and his world and his kingdom. And this offspring, this heavenly offspring, Jesus, it says, will bruise the head of the serpent, the devil, while the serpent, the devil, shall only bruise Jesus' heel. Now, of course, he's speaking figuratively here. Not literally, but figuratively. See, the, the bruise to Jesus will be minor, while the bruise to Satan will be major. Satan, who has limited knowledge, right? He's not omniscient, like God. He only has limited knowledge thought when Jesus was on the cross that he had defeated and killed Jesus. Right? That's what he's thinking. He thought that, that, that he got him, right? Yeah, there was a bruise in that. There was pain. There was hardship. There was even death to Jesus, we know. But as it says in the next slide, what, what seemed to be the biggest defeat of history turned into the greatest triumph. What seemed to be the, the biggest defeat of history turned into the greatest triumph. You see, Satan thought he had won the battle, but Jesus has won the war. <laughs> See, Satan thought he had won the battle, but Jesus had won the war. What he did for us, that's what he said. It is finished. I've accomplished what he wanted me to do in my death for mankind. So what did Jesus do for the mankind on the cross? Isaiah talked about it in Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. I don't have all of it up there, but listen. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like his sheep have gone astray, and each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What did he do for us? He paid the price for our sins. He took our sins upon himself, our iniquities, our transgressions. Three different words are used in there. The, the, all of our sin, all of our rebellion against God, all of our hatred toward him. He took it on himself. And he paid the price for our sins. First Peter, Peter comments about that. Peter, who, who saw Jesus be crucified, he says this, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you are healed. Wow, sounds like maybe he knew Isaiah 53 to me. Because Isaiah 53 comments about that. By his wounds you are healed. By his wounds you are healed. Now I know that some people take that in a physical way. Yes, God can heal. But he's not talking about physical things. Or he's talking about spiritual things. 
Him taking our sin, putting it on Himself, and making us alive to righteousness. I think that's what He's talking about. Our spiritual wounds are healed by Jesus' death on our behalf. Yes, He can heal. I'm not saying He can't. But I don't think that verse responds to physical healing. It says, this is what He did for us in His sin, and this is what He's done for us through with the death that He did. He has made us alive spiritually. He has taken care of those spiritual wounds, and He's healed us from those things that would keep us from Him. My words. The holy humbled himself. The righteous died for the unrighteous. The sinless became sin. The lion was the lamb. And God the Son became separated from God the Father in that moment. That's what he did for us. But if we could say this, as they say, uh, let's, let's add uh, injury to insult. Is that what they say? Let's add insult to injury. I think it's injury to insult, right? What happened on the third day? He arose, right? He is risen. He is risen indeed. It's not Easter, but we can say that, right? What, is it? what does the great song say? Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foe. Didn't he say that was going to happen? Genesis 3.15. There will be this enmity between you and me, God and Satan. There's enmity, there's, there's hatred, there's hostility there. But Jesus Christ, in his death, on the cross, and then in his resurrection, it doesn't talk about the resurrection specifically here, but you know that he's referring to that, right? Because that sealed the deal. Now, he has come, and he has given his life, and he has risen from the dead. The devil is doomed to destruction. It's going to happen someday. Kind of read the end of the book. <laughs> About Revelation 19, Revelation 20, 21, he's doomed to destruction because of the work that Jesus did. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, between Jesus, God, and you. And he, Satan, the, the offspring, Jesus, will bruise your head. He's going to doom you to destruction, but you will only bruise his heel. Yes, there was difficulty. There was hardship in the crucifixion, but Jesus won the war. Jesus won the war in his finished work and then his resurrection from the dead. So we all have accomplishments to boast about. And I don't think it's wrong to rejoice in what the Lord has allowed us to succeed in. Please don't take this as, you know, you know, I, I'm not a humble person. I'm trying to be humble. These are just things God allowed for me to be a part of. And I think we can rejoice in that. We each have them. I'm not carrying it, just don't carry it to the part that says, you know, I'm proud, but let's rejoice in those things. But but those accomplishments are minor compared to what matters. The work of Christ on the cross on our behalf. That's what matters. One author reminds us that the cross is both a sign of Christ's crucifixion and of the faith of Christians. How many of you wear a cross? Yeah. It's valuable. It's, it's important. It, it's a picture of Christ's crucifixion, of course, and, but also of the faith of Christians. Um, I kind of like to watch football. I was never big enough to play it. 
But did you see Derek Henry? He's got a cross. Another guy you saw on the bench, he had a cross in his nose. Another guy from uh, the other team they were playing, uh, maybe the last game, had crosses underneath his eye black. Now, they're not, they're not just wearing that just because they think that's kind of a cool thing. I mean, everybody else lathers up with all sorts of things, you know, sometimes all over their face and their eye black, right? They're wearing that because they're making a statement, just like Tim Tebow used to do. John 3.16 and his eye black underneath his And they're making a statement. They mean, they're not perfect. Well, you know, I think, that, I think the guy with the, two weeks ago, I think the guy with the crosses, he got an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. <laughs> It happens, right? We're human. But they're making a statement to that because it represents what Christ has done, but it represents our faith and what Jesus has done for us. Galatians 6.14, Paul says, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Far be it from me. This is the most important thing that I would boast in the cross. Now, Paul had lots to boast about. Read Philippians chapter 3. As a Pharisee of the Pharisees, I have more zeal than anybody else. You know, as a the tribe, I have the perfect tribe. Everything about me, man, I, I kept the law. Do, 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 do. He goes through there in the first, the first three verses. He goes right through there. Man, he had a lot to boast in, but he said, that's not important. What's important is I want to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. I mean, he could say, here, here's my resume, man. I started this church. I started this church. I started this church, you know. Of course, he also says, you know, I've been shipwrecked 42 times. I've been lashed 539 times. I'm making those up, hyperbole. But you know what I mean? He goes through that, man. He says, I've been through it for the cross of Christ. But this is what I want to boast in. I want to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. 1 Corinthians 2.2 follows up with this. And he says much the same thing. Why don't we read it together? For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what matters. That's what matters. I'm going to live Him out. I'm going to live Jesus Christ out and what He did for me on the cross. And through the cross, obviously, I think He's also referring to the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 1, a lot of verses here that I'm going to read so they won't be up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus done in his death, burial, and resurrection, not with word of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. It's not about me. It's about what Christ has done. That's what I want to give to you. He goes on, For the word of the cross is folly. Some versions use the word offense to those who are perishing, to those who don't know Jesus. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly or offense to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Beautiful. This is what I'm going to emphasize, Paul says. I am going to emphasize Jesus Christ, His cross work, because it's the power of God and what He has done for us. Some, as I said, some use translations, use the word offense instead of folly. To those without Christ, 
The cross has no meaning. It might be a nice story worthy of consideration, but the thought of beatings, blood, and death has not moved them to say, a song that I learned many years ago, it should have been me, it should have been me on the cross. It should have been me on the cross, not Jesus. The righteous died for the unrighteous. The sinless became sin for me, for you. It should have been me. It should have been me on the cross. Billy Graham goes on to say, he says, the cross is an offense, it's folly. First, because it pictures the condemnation of the world. Because the cross says to every one of us that we are sinners. And we don't like to hear that. I mean, if you're saved, you know, it's like, I don't like to hear that. But to the world out there, well, there might be a few people that like to hear that, right? Because they know they're such sinners, right? But, but to the average people, you say, yeah, you're a, you're a sinner, you're a bad sinner. You know, they're going, no, I'm not so bad, really, I'm pretty good. And, and most people are. But what does Paul say in Romans chapter 3? None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Whoa, Paul, lay it on thick, buddy. <laughs> no, 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 not one. All. None of us seeks God. We only seek God because he puts it within us. He says, I'm drawing you to myself. No one comes to the Father except they get drawn. No one comes to the Son except they're drawn by Jesus, drawn by the Father. He does his work. We don't naturally seek God. We have that bent to go the other way. You may not like that verse, but that's what Paul says under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's who we are before Christ. That's why he died on the cross for us so that we would have the opportunity to seek after him as he does his work in us. I read this illustration. Uh, Dr. G. Campbell Morgan, a very famous preacher, came from, came from the England area, came over to the United States, and uh, became a, a great preacher. Many, many great, great sermons. God used him in many powerful ways in the, the revivalist era. He said early on as he came to America, he said a lady came up to him and approached him and said to him, Dr. Morgan, the cross is offensive to me. I don't like to hear a preacher talk about it because it is ugly and it is unsightly, and I don't like to hear that sort of thing. And Dr. Morgan, as the story is told, said in his characteristic manner, Madam, I thoroughly agree with you. It is an offense. It is an ugly thing. But the only ugliness in that cross is your sins and my sins. The only ugliness in that cross is your sin and my sin. Because that's why Jesus died. In his body, on the tree, he bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you are healed. Secondly, Billy Graham says, the cross defies all notions of us earning our way to heaven. As you've heard me say many times, if Jesus didn't have to come and die on that cross and be the mediator to make it possible to the Father, 
If he didn't have to do that, he's the biggest fool that ever lived. He's the biggest liar that ever lived. But he had to do that. The only way that we could have a bridge to have salvation, to go from our sinfulness and have his righteousness placed on our account, credited to us, Romans chapter 4, his righteousness placed on our account so that we could have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. Because he had to do that. Somebody sinless had to die for us to make possible the bridge to be with the Father. Hadn't thought about this verse in a long time until I was putting everything together yesterday morning, early afternoon. For by grace are you saved. Through what? Faith. Not of works, right? Not of works. I have it up there. And this is not of your own doing, it's ESV. It's the gift of God, nor a result of works, so that what? No one may boast. <laughs> we would. I did good. I mean, people are doing that all the time. I did good. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm a good man. I'm a good man. And probably they are. I'm a good woman. Probably they are. But not good enough to cross the bridge from death to life. Because that's why Jesus came. What are we to boast in? We're to boast in what Christ did for us. The cross work of Jesus Christ and the resurrection on the third day. We boast in that, Paul said. That's what I want people to know about me. This is the most important thing. This is the matter that really matters. This is the main thing. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. So, we kind of wrap it up here. Christ's work on the cross makes him mighty to Save. Seems like maybe we sang that song earlier. Christ's work on the cross makes him mighty to save. We need to stand on that promise. Let's stand on that promise. That Christ's work on the cross makes him mighty to save. Here's what he says, and given to me many years ago in the Moody Bible Institute, the gospel in a nutshell, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that Christ died according to the scriptures. He was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at a time, most of whom were still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That's the gospel in a nutshell. If you have the opportunity to share Jesus with somebody, just turn to 1 Corinthians 15 and you can explain to them, this is the gospel, that Jesus died according to the scriptures. It was prophesied he's going to do it. Jesus said he was going to die. And that he did it according to the scriptures. He's buried and he rose again on the third day. And according to the scriptures, Jesus said, I'm going to rise again. The Bible says, the prophecy, there's going to be a resurrection. That's going to take place. That's the gospel in a nutshell for us today. Now, the question is, for all of us gathered, have you made that decision? Have you, have you appropriated that? Have you put that into practice? Have you accepted that, what Jesus has done for you? If, you? if you've never done that before, today is the best day to ever come to know Jesus Christ. 
It's the best day to come to know Jesus, to turn your life to Him, to, to say to Him, I, hey, I admit that I'm a sinner. The Bible says that. I think our own, our own heart says that too. I have sinned. I've grieved the Holy God. And I believe that Jesus Christ came and He was God's Son. He died on the cross for me. He took my sins upon Himself. That's why He came, to bear my sin. It should have been me on the cross. Instead, it was the Son of God. And today, I, I confess my faith in You. I commit my life to You. I give You my heart. I give You my soul. I say to You, yes, I believe the message of the Gospel of John. Yes, I if you've never done that before, just simply in your heart, just, just say those words. Dear Father, I know that you came, you loved me. You loved me because I had sinned and my sins separated you, separated me from you. And I believe that's why you came as the Son of God. I don't understand how all that works, but that's why you came. It's historical. It's true. And you died on the cross. You did your work, and you said, it is finished. You, you did what the Father had you come to do. Today, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I, I give you my life. I, I want to make the great exchange. I want your righteousness for my sin. I want your life for my death that I would do, that I would die without you. I want your peace. I want your joy. I want your eternal life. I want your abundant life. I want your new life. I want your spiritual life. Thank you, Father, for saving my soul. I stand on the promise that those who would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart, that that person would be saved. And I believe that. That's your promise. And I claim it today. Thank you you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if, if today was the first time you've ever done that, made that prayer and said words similar to what I've given to you, check it off on the, the, the connection card. Let us know. Write something down so that we can help you and rejoice with you, get excited with you, and help you to grow. Please take the time to do that. You see, because what Christ did on the cross makes him mighty to save us. But his cross work always makes him mighty to help us have victory over sin. Let, let, me, let me go back just a second. You remember your, uh, the who's your one process we've been doing? Who's that one person in your life you want to come to know Jesus? It's the beginning of the year. It's time for you to give me your names, your new names, or maybe your old names. Those people that you're praying for, that you're caring for, that you want them to come to know Jesus Christ. So that connection card that's right in front of you, I won't know that name unless you write it down. And I prayed for all your names this morning. Six pages of names. I do it every Saturday night, every Sunday. We've been doing that for about four years now. Take the card. Let me know who your ones are. I'm going to add them. Sarah, she's not in here right now. Sarah types it up for me violin. Sarah plays the violin. She types it up for me so that I have those and I can pray for you. 
as the year goes through, I add your different names that you might write on a card you're praying for. But take the card, please, and put those names down. Who are your ones? You can have you can have onesies, twosies, threesies, foursies, too. It's all right. And I want to pray that you have the opportunity to share Jesus with them and that they would come to know Jesus in this year, 2022. All right? So take the time to do that. Put them in the baskets as you go out. And um, we'll add those to our list, and I'll be praying for you every week. I'll pray through those that list of people and care for you in that way. So let's go to the last one. God, 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 Jesus' cross work makes him mighty to help us have victory over sin. That's a promise we can stand on. Romans chapter 6. For if we've been united in, with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we could no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe we also live with him. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let no sin, let not sin reign in your mortal, mortal, mortal body to make you obey its passion. Any of you ever uh, fall prey to temptation and sin? Yeah, me too. Me too. But Christ's cross work gives us the power, the ability for us to have triumph and have victory over sin. Whatever the issue you deal with, the issues you deal with, we said last week, they're, they're common to man and common to woman. Different levels, of course. But we all struggle with that. But what Christ has done for us on the cross, and we boast in Him and what He's done for us, that can help us to have victory and triumph over sin. I'll wrap it up here for you. Um, open windows. Janice was passing them out this morning. Great way just to give yourself some time in the Word of God, time and some good thoughts that men and women have written these devotionals. I wrote back down as I knew I was going into this, this service, uh, this sermon series uh, on January 13th. Let's see if I can find it here. January 13th. This is um, what it says. It's talking about Hebrews chapter 11 and real faith. It says this Father, it's a little prayer at the end. Father, since you alone are completely trustworthy, help me to exercise real faith in your very real promises. Help me to exercise real faith in your very real promises, because that's what all those people in Hebrews 11 did. By faith, they did these things. Why? Because they, they knew that this was for them, and they had the promises. And lastly, even in Friday's devotional, the prayer is this. Got to get to the right one here. Can't even, can't even find it. Oh. The prayer was this. Titled, the devotion was titled, Promise Keeper. Boy, that got my attention. <laughs> the prayer is this. Father, Thank you for keeping all of your promises. Why can we stand on the promises? Because he's going to keep his promise. 
That's kind of my big idea. My big idea. Father, thank you for keeping all your promises so we can stand on all your promises. Did a great job, Simon. Thanks for that which you picked out today. He's mighty to save because of his work on the cross. We can stand on the promises because he is faithful to do his promises, to hold to his promises of who he is. So, all that we've been through this morning, if you just remember these phrases, Father, thank you for keeping all your promises so that we can stand on all your promises. That's what we've been over this morning. And that's what we'll continue to cover in the weeks to come. Take the card, if you would. That's our invitation today. Take the card. Put your one on there. Put your name on there too, okay? That's really important. Because I want to pray for you pray for your ones that they would come to know Jesus Christ and they could sing and sing with us someday standing on the promises thank you father for the promises you made in Genesis chapter 3 kind of some hard ones but we know that you've held true to those promises Satan is cursed woman has pain in childbirth man has to work really hard. We've been kicked out of Eden. There's going to be enmity. There is enmity between you and the Heavenly Father, or Satan and the Heavenly Father. There's enmity between man and woman, but there's a promise. There's hope that you sent your son, Jesus, the offspring of a woman, Yes, Satan did bruise your heel, but you bruised his head. You won the war. Thank you. We want to boast in that. Boast in the cross and the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And it's in his name, he's powerful, he's mighty, he's kind. His generous, His loving name, 